0: The Guardian. More than 60 million COVID vaccinations have been administered to people in the UK so far, helping to protect us against a virus that has upended society and claimed the lives of thousands of people. However, some people have, anecdotally, reported changes to their menstrual cycles after receiving a jab. It may be something you've read about online, but as yet, there's limited evidence to show that the two are related. But as these claims spread online, individual worries can feed into larger and more damaging narratives linked to vaccine hesitancy. From The Guardian, I'm Nicola Davis, and today on Science Weekly, I'm talking about that time of the month. After getting the jab themselves, Dr. Kate Clancy, This is Kate Clancy, an associate professor at the University of Illinois, and Dr. Catherine Lee,
1: It's probably easier if you call me Catherine.
0: A postdoctoral scholar in the Public Health Sciences Division at Washington University School of Medicine experienced temporary changes in their own menstrual cycles. And from there, they launched a study. Between time zones and stacks of of end-of-semester marking, they both found time to sit down with me and talk through their research.
1: We ask a lot of questions about people's experiences with their normal menstrual cycles, like whatever is normal to them to sort of put it in the context of if the vaccine is different from that normal for them. We ask about which vaccines they received, when they received them, if they have had COVID, just because we have heard through other researchers that there is likely a subset of people who get COVID and experience differences in their menstrual cycle. So we wanted to be able to make sure we could look at those um, folks separately. And then we ask a bunch of questions about existing different types of conditions that might play into some of the mechanisms we suspect might be potentially explaining these trends that people are reporting.
2: And what sort of things are are people reporting? I mean, if you had sort of responses to the survey come back or or anecdotal people get in touch with you before you started the survey, what what sort of thing are people saying?
1: I'll let Kate answer this one because I know she gets way more emails about this than I do.
3: <laughs>
1: sure. So, certainly when we first
3: started tweeting about it, I would say a number of the responses were, at least of the people who actually felt that they had menstrual changes, I would say were probably similar to what Catherine and I originally experienced. For people on long acting hormonal contraceptives, people on gender affirming hormones, and postmenopausal people were all reporting effectively surprise periods or breakthrough bleeding. And then of people who are, you know, who currently have periods, you know, some of them were reporting earlier and heavier periods. But I will also say that some were also reporting later and lighter periods. And there are definitely is a very large number of people who have reported that they've really experienced no changes at all. So I think one of the really important things to notice, and I suspect when we start to do a more rigorous analysis of our survey data, is that you know, what we are looking at is just like with sore arm and fatigue and fever, that this is something that is highly variable and does not affect a huge number of people. This is not um, a universal experience. And I would also say that now that we've continued to hear back from people um, over multiple months and multiple cycles, I would say this also appears to be something that is very short-lived. It's one to two cycles max of changes, even among the people who are experiencing changes.
2: That's really interesting. I mean, when we talk about people experiencing changes, what's interesting there is you get some people having it going one way and some people the other, whereas, you know, if you feel tired after a vaccine, if you don't feel tired, it's not normally that you feel more energized (laughs) necessarily. So it's interesting that in this case, you've got some people having heavier periods, some people much lighter. Um, I guess one question I want to ask here is that you know we know that cycles vary from person to person, and even even for the same person, you know sometimes it's lighter, sometimes it's not, sometimes you have sometimes it's on time, sometimes it's not. There's all sorts of variations that go along there and and can be linked to external events as well. How do you unpick that kind of noise? and and even if it is linked to the vaccine, do we know whether that's some kind of biological link or or could it be something else? We know, for example, that stress can play a role in in menstrual cycles. So how do you sort of go about unpicking all these different factors?
3: The main purpose of our lab is to understand environmental stressors and how they produce variation in menstrual cycles. So that is literally what we've been doing for, uh, you know, what I've been doing at least for about 20 years now. And I have a number of publications that um, have addressed exactly what you're asking, that have controlled for individual variation, and then explore and then to the extent that one can in natural living populations, have controlled for other factors in order to parse the extent to which an energetic, or an immune or a psychosocial stressor might produce variation on menstrual cycle. So, you know, mainly what we would be doing would be um, some statistical controls. We also are going to be looking for associations within the sample because we're looking all at people, of course, who are, um, you know, making observations about themselves after having received the vaccine. And because this is an emerging issue, there was no way to prospectively gather data and to say, oh, we anticipate this might happen, so let's recruit a cohort of people, study their periods for a while, then have them get vaccinated, and then see what happens. Like that, um, you know, that of course would be um, a great way to study this, but in an emerging pandemic where it would be, I think, a pretty... um, unethical thing to tell people to hold off on getting a vaccine just so that we can study their periods beforehand. Um, You know, I think that uh, retrospective is kind of the best we have. And so, sure, we can't perfectly control for the stressors of, uh, for other, for different types of stressors, but we do ask questions about them in our survey. Um, And we ask about a lot of, um, we ask a lot of sort of reproductive and health history questions that I think will also help us get at the extent to which When we see people with certain types of symptoms, whether that might be related to an existing vulnerability that they might have. So for instance, you know, I had postpartum hemorrhage after both of the births of both of my children, um, and I'm someone who experienced heavier bleeding. Um, You know, that might be one thing that we could look at and say people who already are maybe at risk of having heavier bleeding um, maybe are the kinds of people who might be experiencing this type of symptom post-vaccine. So those, those are the kinds of things that we can get at with this type of sample.
2: So let me just ask a quick question there. I mean, presumably you talked a bit about the ethics. You can't kind of go prospectively now because we need to get vaccines into people's arms. We can't sort of hang about because we want to sort of do an interesting sort of analysis there. Presumably that's also true about, you know, the gold standard, of course, would be a placebo-controlled trial so that you can kind of start to unpick, well, is any of this about perhaps uh you know reaction to to having a va- having a jab of any sort even if it's not actually got the covid vaccine in it presumably that also ethically would be challenging now at this point yes but i mean that's what the vaccine trial did do i mean
3: i ha- i know people who were participants in vaccine trials some of which found out later that they received the placebo, (laughs) and some of which received the actual vaccine at the time that they were participating. Um, So I mean, that is certainly the standard when you are developing and trying to establish the safety of the vaccine, that would have been the appropriate time to have explored these kinds of questions. So what we're doing is kind of a trying to sort of pick up and address some of these gender inequities that should have been addressed back when this was first being done. So you know, we do know at least of a very small handful of cases where women who were participants did try to advocate for themselves and point out that this was something they were experiencing.
2: Presumably it's harder after the clinical trials and once we're in this situation in the real world with vaccines being rolled out as you said there are ethical issues to now trying to go back and do those kinds of studies but there are complexities now that you face trying to unpick you know is this because people are hyper vigilant around changes regarding their body post-vaccination you know people are looking out for any potential side effects? Or is it actually a a, a real effect? Presumably that just makes it much harder for you?
3: To some extent, yes. Um, And and I think, you know, the purpose of this survey is not to definitively establish that this relationship exists because of the fact that this is um, more about testing for associations among vaccinated people around particular conditions that we as experts in menstrual cycles can predict might make someone more likely to experience this type of side effect, So that's really all we can do with this survey.
2: You know, you talk there about trying to unpick the mechanisms. Are there any hypotheses at the moment about why having a COVID vaccine might cause some disruption to menstrual cycles or, or even cause spotting or breakthrough bleeding if you are no longer having menstrual cycles because of the hormonal contraception or other treatment that you're taking? There's sort of two main
3: kinds of thinking that we have around this. One is, is simply that... We do know that this vaccine packs quite a bit of a wallop and we know that people are having, you know, fairly strong systemic responses to it. And that's good. We want to see sore arm. We want to see fever. We want to see fatigue because we know that that means that that person is having an immune activation with the vaccine. But the fact that it is so strong, you know, more so than we often see for a lot of our other usual vaccines does indicate that it's probably invoking just a larger general inflammatory response, perhaps than other vaccines. And again, in the short term, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But what it does mean is that it might affect other systems that also use a lot of inflammatory processes. And, you know, the uterus and the ovaries are constantly doing tissue remodeling. That's what makes them such interesting organs to us and as objects of study. They're growing and regressing these follicles that are in competition with each other. You've got ovulation, which is a major tissue and you know, remodeling event, as well as the repair of the ovary afterwards. You have the growth of endometrium. You have the repair of the endometrium as menstruation is happening. These are all things that are communicated through inflammatory processes. And so you can imagine if you have a giant wallop of an immune event, then you know all of the inflammation that goes with that might somehow also affect many other systems of the body um, kind of unintentionally. It's not a bad thing. It's more just a, hey, this is this is how we know it's really doing its job. The one other tiny thing I'll say is this particular vaccine has a very exciting method of drug delivery. The lipid nanoparticle is, I think, really exciting and interesting. and but I also think it's worth noticing that there are some small sprinklings of case studies over the last couple of decades that they can occasionally create bleeding events you know, in a small number of people. And so sort of putting those two things together, that it could be the drug delivery method, it could just be the giant wallop of the inflammatory processes. But there are definitely reasons to think, in hindsight, seeing as it wasn't studied, this actually should have been obvious.
2: If the vaccine is causing some disruption, let's sort of work with that for the moment, then, you know, you said it's quite short-lived. So, you know, one, perhaps two cycles that are affected. I think the question a lot of people perhaps Uh, would like to to know the answer to is whether that disruption in menstrual patterns might indicate a disruption to some other aspect of the reproductive systems. I want to emphasize that what we're
1: seeing for the menstrual cycle changes, we do expect and most of the follow-up evidence we have is that it is short-term. And I think it's really important that people not confuse a menstrual cycle with fertility because fertility is about the ability to have children or the number of children that you have over like your whole lifespan. Um, And what this vaccine could do is potentially slightly shift things like timing of bleeding or timing of ovulation or some of these things for those one or two cycles. So for that one or two cycles, it is possible that if you are trying to become pregnant, it might not line up in timing the way you expect it to.
2: And let's just talk a bit there again also about you know miscarriage. So the idea of, of unexpected bleeding, of course, can be a little bit distressing if you're not expecting it. Obviously, you know, a concern there for some women might be, well, will it mean that I'm more likely to miscarry?
1: So this is something that there is definitely evidence from the vaccine trials and follow-ups where there's no difference in miscarriage rate for people who were vaccinated from folks who are not vaccinated having miscarriages. We know that miscarriages are really common and that isn't to say that it isn't a big deal for people when it happens. But there is no evidence that this changes the rate of miscarriage in people. And furthermore, we do know that contracting COVID is very, very bad for the pregnant mother and the baby. So getting vaccinated provides huge protection against getting COVID and potentially getting really sick in a way that could harm uh, both the parent and the child.
0: Thanks to my guests, Dr. Catherine Lee and Dr. Kate Clancy, for being able to talk through the early days of studying these kinds of reports. Just a reminder, if you are worried about any aspect of your health, it's best to seek advice from your medical practitioner. For all the latest COVID-19 and vaccine-related coverage, head to the podcast's webpage at theguardian.com, and we'll include a link to the COVID-19 vaccine information from the NHS website. If you have any programme ideas, thoughts or feedback, Please get in touch with us at scienceweekly at For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.comslash podcasts.